Welcome to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. Here at Fremont, we create space for people to become lifelong followers of Jesus, and we relentlessly pursue His transformation of our neighborhood, our city, and the world. Here's today's message. Okay, here we go. We're reading Colossians 2, 8 through 15. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Melissa. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. You are so kind that you continue to speak to us today and that you've preserved your word and that we get to gather together to be spoken to through your word. You know that Christ says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We pray, Father, to stand fast in the freedom that you promise us in Christ and in your word. Father, I pray that your spirit now would make your word clear. I pray you would protect us against distraction. I pray you would protect us against wandering minds. I pray that you would protect us from receiving this just through our own intellect. But instead, I pray that your spirit would illumine the eyes of our hearts, that as spiritual people, we would discern spiritual things. So we pray you would attune our ears to hear your voice and our hearts to perceive your wisdom in here. And we pray as a result that we would be significantly transformed to the image of Christ. May you bring great clarity and joy now as we dive into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Imagine a literal prisoner miraculously pardoned from death row only to come back as a free man seeking to have his cell back. Imagine the the shock on the officer's faces as those whose job for years has been to keep this man captive now being asked if they will help him become captive. So let me get this straight. You have fought for your freedom for years. You've filed 500 motions in court to obtain your freedom. And now that you have your freedom, you're asking if we will put you back in captivity. Now, as astonishing as that would be, what would even be more astonishing is if the Colossians 
would entertain a spiritual captivity after they have obtained a more precious freedom than being pardoned from death row. So our big idea that we're going to discover today is this. Christ freed us from captivity by becoming a captive in our place. And here's how we're going to go through the passage that Melissa read in 2, 8 through 15. Uh, This outline is in your bulletin if you want to follow. In verses 8 through 10, we're going to look at what it means to be freed from empty pursuits. In 11 and 12, freed from our old selves. In 13 through 15, freed from Satan's accusations. And this is, we're right in the middle. This is week six of verse by verse of our 11 weeks through Colossians. And it just continues to be great. Now let's notice the overall flow of the passage as we dive in. So we can just see it even in the first three verses. Paul starts off with the problem. One verse of the problem, right? See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So that's the the problem. But he's going to spend the next six verses in our passage just talking about the fullness of of Christ. So we are like 40 some verses into the book of Colossians. We really, Paul's given us very little detail about the false teaching they're up against, but he has just given us an onslaught of Christ's sufficiency. So the, the best defense is a good offense. In many ways, right, Paul's discipleship blueprint consists of helping the Colossians be so captivated by Christ that they are protected from becoming captive to false teachers. So a big Christology prevents a false ideology, right? A big view of Christ prevents spiritual infection from coming in. Now, last week, this is where we left off. We left off with uh, kind of these theme verses of Colossians, 2, 6, and 7, therefore, as you received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So they received Christ by faith, and this foundation led them to be rooted, like they were stable, like they were were secure. See, they became free through becoming bondservants to Christ, but now they're in danger of becoming bondservants to human tradition and being taken captive. Right? Becoming a captive, it's the opposite of being rooted. Rather than firm, you're flimsy. Rather than solid, you're shaky. And this idea of submitting ourselves to Christ or to scripture, becoming a captive to Christ, it can have this negative connotation, right? As if that like infringes upon our freedom. Yet what we really discover is that everyone serves a master of some sort. And Christ is the only master whose subjects become free. Now, the nature of, of the, the Colossians would be captured, their ideologies, right? They have their origins right here in empty deceit, according to human tradition. So this word philosophy here, it's two Greek words. It means love and wisdom. So Paul is saying, Don't be taken captive by a love of wisdom. Like, wait a minute. I just prayed for wisdom yesterday. I love wisdom, right? Here's the key, not according to Christ. So not according to Christ. So rather than a wisdom that 
removes Christ, is devoid of Christ. Paul is saying, no, be, be taken captive by a wisdom that consists of Christ. Right? There are so many forms of philosophies and wisdom that have an appearance of wisdom, yet they are devoid of Christ and therefore actually contain no wisdom at all. And this is such a timely word for us. Right? Perhaps you, you know people in your life whom you would consider very wise and very intelligent, whom you respect, but are not Christians. And that may feel intimidating to you because you feel on one hand that like you can't measure up to their wisdom. And maybe that even makes you feel a bit insecure in your faith. Right, well, if, if this professor of mine or this boss of mine, right, who is more intelligent than I am, kind of thinks what I believe is kind of foolish, am I foolish for what I believe? And Paul is saying, those apples and oranges, like there's a worldly wisdom and there is a godly wisdom. Look how he puts it uh, in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, 20 and verse uh, 2, 6. He says, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. And so you, Christian, who have a wisdom according to Christ, you are in no way inferior to those who wield a worldly wisdom. God has chosen the weak things of this world to shame the strong, and he has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. Now this word, so Paul goes on to say, don't be taken captive to this elemental spirit. Now, uh, this is probably better translated elemental principles. It may be referring to demonic principles or worldly principles. But the idea is, is simply this, that they are not to be taken captive by those things that give, they provide some sort of allure of, of fullness. Yet once you taste them, they are nothing but empty calories. And so, boy, how we and the Colossians need discernment to be able to navigate and discern with all the different philosophies and wisdoms of this age that we are hit with, how do we possibly navigate these? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, that we bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So we walk in freedom by bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ rather than the latest philosophy taking us captive. When we run, we are to run philosophy, run the worldly wisdom through the lens of scripture, much the way a filter functions in a swimming pool. The filter's job in a pool, right, is to get out the junk that would come in and contaminate the pool. And so Christ's word is the filter that we weigh everything and it keeps our minds alleviated from junk. It's hard to recognize human philosophies that take us captive if we don't first recognize divine philosophies that bring us freedom. So in 2.9, he says, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So do you see what Paul is doing? 
right? He's contrasting that with the emptiness here. He's going to go on a little bit. He's going to say, you've been filled in him. And so what he's doing, because all the fullness that dwells in Christ, don't look to become full through empty pursuits. In other words, don't play in puddles when you have the ocean right in front of you. Now, we're not going to go into detail about the false teaching this week. I don't want to steal Matthew's thunder for next week. But I will give you a sneak peek of kind of where we're headed because it really gives us insight into what Paul is doing right here in this passage. Now, before I read it, we're going to read this word. I might not even know how to pronounce it. Asceticism. Probably haven't used that in your vocab today. There's, it's mentioned twice. It just has to do with like deprivation of the body, even like punishing your flesh. So just keep that in mind. Colossians 2, this is like right up ahead where we left off today. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirit of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts, there's a word again, and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Whoa, Colossae has been inundated. So one strain of false teaching seeking to kind of sneak their way in and take them captive is a form of legalism that has to do with, well, I can gain a fuller spiritual experience if I just deprive and punish my body enough. Because, you know, after all, the body is like, it's really evil. And so if this spirituality, if I can just kind of seek to escape my body through punishing it, I can really attain fullness in Christ. Do you notice? I mean, Paul is brilliant. Have the Holy Spirit in him, but look what he does in verse nine. All the fullness of deity dwells bodily and dwells is present tense. So when Christ walked this earth, he had a body. And after he rose and ascended, he has a body. And so you kind of see what Paul is doing. He's saying, uh, guess what? After Christ rose, he has a body. So guess what? After you rise, when you're all set and done delivered from this world, you are still going to have a body. So the problem to attain wholeness is not to punish your body. The pathway to wholeness is that Christ's body was punished for you on the cross in your behalf. That's the ticket to fullness in him. So we go from empty up here to full to full. Now elsewhere, This term right here, rule and authority, is used to refer to angels and demons. Um, Ephesians 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities. In verse 15 of our main passage today, we're going to see Christ has disarmed rulers and authorities, which is very likely a reference to Satan. So we saw that part of the Colossians' false teaching they're up against is the worship of angels. And so perhaps what Paul is doing, he's saying, hey, you know that those things that you were tempted to subject yourself to and become captive to, do you know that Christ has all authority as head and rule over them? So why would you seek freedom by making yourself captive to the very ones that Christ has head and rule and authority over? And on that note, 
all things are subject to Christ. So why would we seek to be filled in empty things that ultimately are his subjects? Now, you and I are probably not struggling with the exact same temptations of the Colossians. Like we're maybe not trying to become more spiritual through punishing our body, or we're not trying to manufacture a spiritual frenzy through the worshiping of angels. Yet do we not at times seek to obtain fullness outside of God's revelation to us in scripture? As if his revelation to us in Christ is good, but but that there's more. And and unless we get more, we're depriving ourselves of the good life. How easy it becomes to pick and choose what aspects of scripture in Christ that we take while disregarding the rest that we feel infringe upon our fullness. Christ said that in him is life and life to the full. And that fullness is obtained not through seeking a partial Christ, but a whole Christ. From time to time, my parents will, they'll gift us um, a hotel timeshare thing that they have. And so when we walk in, um, they think like we're the owners. So they treat us great. They think like I'm the Mr. Pack. Um, Yeah, Mr. Pack, right here. Uh, So we come in and they give us like these wristbands. It's like a master key. And you just go like right down the door and you're like, eh. You're just, you're just opening things with this wristband. Like it unlocks everything. Like you get access to everything that would have otherwise been closed because they think I'm the Mr. Pack. Sometimes in scripture, we come to a passage like this and there's a master key in there that will unlock so many doors of scripture if we would just grasp it. And we have one of those master keys in our passage today. And I want us to see it and I want it to walk, unlock doors for us today. So it's in Colossians 2. It's in our whole passage, 9 through 13. So that, that middle section. So here's what I'm going to do because we're going to involve participation. Um, every time I come to a, two words, almost, almost identical two words, I'm going to stop, I'm going to underline them and you fill in the blank. Now, I'm going to say this ahead of time so we don't get distracted. In verse 11, there's a lot of mentions of circumcision. I'm not going to ask you guys to read that. We will get to that in a minute. Just when I stop, go ahead and fill in the blank. And it's going to be almost right off the bat. All right, ready? All right, four. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled, who is the head of all rule and authority, Also, you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried in baptism in which you were also raised through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So this Okay, I got really bad handwriting. Union, this is a W. You're like, oh, he really does have bad handwriting. That says union with Christ. Uh, Union with Christ is the master key that unlocks everything for us in scripture. Here's what it means, simply means this. Because we are so closely identified with 
Christ, that it can be said that everything that has happened to Christ has happened to us. So when Christ died, it is as if if we died. And when he rose, it is as if we rose with him. And that does not only affect us in the future, it drastically impacts us now in the present. Here's a perfect example, Galatians 2.20. Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So when Christ was crucified, Paul was crucified. He is in essence dead, even though he is living because of his union with Christ. So we're going to see this in the next couple of verses. And I'm planting the seed today. We are not going to grasp the totality of union in Christ probably today, but it is upcoming in the next few weeks. And it's incumbent that we begin to grasp this and we have time to do so. So now in verses 11 and 12, we are going to look at what it means to be freed from our old selves. So verse 11, in him. Also, you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. All right. I realize this is foreign language. We got three mentions of circumcision here, and it probably feels a bit confusing. By God's grace, we will walk through this together. And I think we are actually going to see something very astounding and beautiful here. Okay. Circumcision. In the Old Testament, outward sign and seal of the covenant God made with those he was in covenant relationship with. In addition to that, on an important level, it held significance because it also represented right, a deep cleansing, like a cutting away of sin. Many times in the Old and New Testament, we hear terms like circumcision of the heart. And so it's metaphorical for cutting away stubbornness and sin. So the person does not only bear the outward marks of circumcision, but bears the inward marks of circumcision with a new heart. So what is going on? What in the world is going on in Colossae that Paul would decide to use this imagery? I think it all boils down to this term right here without hands. Remember verse eight, they're being captivated by human tradition. Then Paul says, look, All fullness dwells in Christ and it appears what they're trying to do is experience fullness in Christ through man-made hands of worship through outward observances like circumcision rather than experiencing the fullness that comes from Christ. That's what's going on there. But if we zoom out, which we're gonna do, there are astounding truths here for us that we do not wanna skip over. So again, let's focus on this without hands here. So we know then this is not a circumcision that is a physical circumcision on a human level. It is a divine act. God is picture the one doing the circumcision or the cutting, the cleansing. In this context, it, repoint, it points to a reality of, see if I can do right better this time. Is that better? New heart? You're like, eh, not really. Okay. New heart, new birth is really, I think, what that is getting at without hands. Now think about it. When the circumcision made without hands took place, it put off the body of the flesh. So you see what Paul is doing? Unlike just stripping away one piece of the flesh, like a physical act of circumcision, this act is cutting away and cutting off sin in the entire body by which we become new creatures in Christ. Now this stripping away of our flesh happened by 
the circumcision of Christ, which is a reference to his crucifixion. Now, if you notice here, you have all the elements of the gospel. You have his crucifixion, burial, and then raise his resurrection right here. And so you have the gospel. Now let's go back to a union language with Christ. Because we are in Christ. When he died, we died. And therefore, when he was crucified, our old man, our old self died. It was put to death. Now that may sound like a lot of heady theology from Paul to us. But I'm going to tell you now how this gets the very practical day-to-day hope that this gives us. Now, because we are in Christ, there wasn't just a part of our old selves that died. Christ's crucifixion wasn't a partial crucifixion, and therefore our death wasn't a partial death. It was a complete death. That means our old selves, our old sin nature has been crushed. It has, it has received a lethal blow because of our union with Christ. Yes, we still sin. No, we're not perfect. But because our body died with Christ, sin no longer has reign and dominion and power over us. We are no longer slaves to sin because when Christ died, we died. And perhaps you found yourself entrenched in a painful battle of sin. And you've just thought to yourselves, I guess I'm just going to be a slave to sin, a hopeless sinner for the rest of my life. No, that is not the Christian's reality. Paul says, when Christ died, we died. And although we are not perfect, sin no longer has reign in our body the way it did before our relationship with Christ. Notice what he says in Romans 6. We know that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. And so our union with Christ is the basis for our confidence that we can put to death our old selves. And then Paul continues this through baptism, although he's talking about a spiritual baptism because it's one without hands. Even in the picture of physical baptism, he's talking about our union with Christ, this this symbolic death in which we die to our old selves, being cleansed by the waters of baptism in which we are raised to new life, signifying our deep identification with Christ. We have been freed from our old selves. So we have seen up thus far what it means to be freed from empty pursuits, freed from our old selves, and now freed from Satan's accusations in 13 through 15. So verse 13 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses, another word sin, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Now it's been said that sometimes we have to get lost before we can get saved. Apart from grasping our deadness in sin, we will yawn over realities that are meant to bring tears to our eyes, right? What's the good news of being saved if we haven't been saved from something? In Genesis 2, God said, of the day you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. And they ate of the fruit and they died. But that wasn't just a physical death. There was a a potential of a spiritual death that was associated with that. 
And while the Bible teaches that all are made in the image of God, the Bible also teaches that all are born in sin and desperately in need of a savior. And one of the philosophies of this age is that really there's not, no such thing of sin because we all get to define truth for ourselves. But the wisdom of Christ says God alone has the prerogative to define what truth is. And if not, we will become captive to the philosophy of our age and we will not recognize the amazing rescue that we have in Christ. But the good news of this verse is it goes on to say that God made us alive with him. Just as we didn't contribute to a spiritual circumcision without hands, we did not contribute to bringing our dead selves to life. It was a sheer act of grace. Just as God spoke into the darkness of creation and life came to darkness. So he speaks to the darkness of our hearts and light comes flooding in and makes us new creations in Christ. And here's how he did it. He did it through forgiving us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Right? You can hear the courtroom language here. Each of us has incurred a debt to God, not only because of what we've done, but because of what we've left undone. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Like that's the legal demands that we deserve. But God, who is rich in mercy, while we were dead, made us alive together in Christ. And he didn't just turn a blind eye and tear it up. No, he nailed it to Christ. It was paid in full. He did not make a monthly installment on our debt. He canceled our debt, paid in full in Christ. There was an ancient practice back in the time of crucifixion where the person being crucified would have their crimes on a plaque nailed to the cross for everyone to see. You remember Christ, when he was crucified, had that plaque nailed and it said, Jesus Christ, King of the Jews. And the idea here is that he received our nails on the cross as the perfect unblemished substitute. And so our sins were his plaque. And when this happened, he disarmed. Another word for this is stripped. He disarmed, he stripped the rulers and authorities, which is Satan. So what does it mean that Christ has stripped, that he's disarmed Satan? Well, ultimately, Satan had one big weapon against us before Christ, and it was accusation. He had every right to accuse us because we stood condemned and guilty. But now in God's courtroom, Satan has no ammunition because all of those crimes were nailed upon Christ, and therefore there are no accusations any longer. Listen to what Revelation 12, 10 says. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. The one who had the right to accuse us has been defeated. He has been disarmed. As Romans 8 says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who is it to condemn? No one, for it's Christ Jesus has died and risen and is at God's right hand interceding for us. 
Therefore, church, if you are in union with Christ, do not entertain any accusations against you because Christ has paid them in full. And now let's just take this last part. What does it mean he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him? There's an astonishing irony here, a great reversal. When Christ was on the cross, he was literally stripped. Remember, they cast lots for his clothes. He was stripped and he was shamed. Oh, but ironically, it was through his stripping that Satan became stripped. Christ allowed Satan to strip him. And in that process, Satan was the one who was stripped and shamed of his power. And this idea of, a, of authority, so this triumph, it brings up language of a conquering general who, when they are victorious, they come back home with the plunder and the loot and the spoil, and they parade the captives in the street, shaming them. They strip their captives. They parade them for all to see in order to openly shame them. But do you see what's going on here? Christ, our victorious general, He secured something better than all the riches in the world. You and I are his spoil, his loot, and his plunder. And we have been set free because of this conquering general. And that's when the statement in scripture says, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Christ has freed us from captivity by becoming a captive in our place. Therefore, let us stand fast in our freedom. We not yield to empty philosophies that take us captive when we already have all the freedom and the fullness that could possibly exist in Christ, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Father, we thank you for this good news. We thank you that you have taken us out of spiritual captivity because of Christ. I pray that even now during this prayer and this song and maybe even this week, I pray that your spirit would be kind to us to bring areas to mind that we are tempted to submit to a spiritual captivity. God, I pray that we would marvel anew of the fact that Christ has disarmed Satan. We are thankful that death has lost it sting. Father, I pray that we would be people walking in the freedom that you have purchased for us in Christ. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope that you were blessed by the message. You can send your questions or comments directly to us at podcast at fremontpress.org. That's podcast at fremontpress.org. We'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. We have classic worship in the sanctuary at 9 a.m. and modern worship in the Community Life Center at 10.30 a.m. You can find the live stream of both of those services at fremontpress.org. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast feed to get the latest episode each week automatically. Thanks for listening.